This episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast is sponsored by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. Check out their products in your local grocery store or online at mrb.com. What's up, podcast fans? Got a special announcement here. We're sending two people to the WVU vs. Texas football game on November 20th in Morgantown. Here's how you can apply to try to win these two tickets. Go to mountaineermedia.org, which is our website. You've probably heard that before, mountaineermedia.org, mountaineermedia.org. Type that in on your phone, on your browser, go to the website, and then you're going to see a little tab that says Giveaway. Click on that Giveaway tab. And then, boom, you're going to be brought to a landing page. It's going to say, enter to win a chance to go get two tickets to the West Virginia-Texas game. Pretty simple. Put your name, put your last name, and put your email. Hit submit, and then you're on the list. Small disclosure, that does enter you into our email notification list. We send out good deals, updates once a month or so. But entering that does put you on the list. You can always opt out of it. But that's how we're going to keep track of all these entries. We have a couple hundred people have already applied to it. Uh, but put your name on there. Please apply once. We're basically only going to count uh, one time. So just apply one time. First name, last name, email, hit submit, boom, you're entered. And we're going to announce it uh, on, let's see here, the 14th. So the 14th, we're going to announce the winner. And then boom, if you win, you'll get emailed two tickets completely free. And you'll be able to watch WVU football uh, take on the Texas Longhorns in Morgantown with great seats. So jump over to mountaineermedia.com and get your name entered. When the Huffington Post hit the World Wide Web back in 2005, it quickly rose to the top of the digital journalism totem pole. Expertly blending commentary with top-tier reporting, the Post became the first commercial digital media company to win a Pulitzer Prize for achievement in journalism. And today, we talk with someone who's been working at the Post for a decade, and she lives in Charleston. Paige Lavender is currently a news director for the Huff Post, and she's worked with the company for nearly a decade, working her way up from a reporter and an editor. In today's episode, we discuss how she's been able to navigate working for this international media company that's followed by millions of people while living in her home state. You guessed it, West Virginia. Plus, we get her take on how journalism has rapidly evolved and changed over the years. We also dive into some West Virginia headlines, politics, and how the Mountain State has recently gained some notoriety, for better or for worse, for people like Donald Trump, Jim Justice, and Joe Manchin. So buckle up, this is another great episode coming at you right now with Paige Lavender. Mace, hit the music. The sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. Okay, everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Paige Lavender, our guest. She is a news director for Huffington Post. Paige, can you maybe even just describe what the news director does um, for uh, an organization like the Huffington Post? Because you say that and then you're like, okay, it's, uh, what's that mean? 
Yeah, totally. Uh, definitely not something I think a lot of people know. Um, so in my role as news director, I oversee our breaking news team and our video teams. So a large chunk of the news that is happening day to day, like any sort of breaking updates or, or sort of, you know, if it happened within the last 48 hours, uh, you know, a lot of my teams are, are covering that at the at HuffPost. Um, and I'll also do some other stuff, uh, you know, product development, which I think is probably boring for people who aren't in journalism, but basically I help um, make the tools that we use to put the news on the website, make them easy to use and, and efficient for, for all the editors and reporters who work at HuffPost. So that's a little bit of what I do too. Gotcha. So the, the what's funny about that though, is like you started as a writer at HuffPost, right? Correct? Yeah, you, I, actually started doing... as an in, I started as an intern. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, yeah. I really have like started at the most basic level. I was an intern on the HuffPost politics team back in 2011. And I was only an intern for like a month and a half. Um, and, you know, I, I worked hard and I, I really did try to get a job. But I also think I had good timing in the sense that uh, right when I started, it was when the 2012 Republican primary was heating up. I started in 2011, but all of the, you know those things take like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I got hired within a month and a half of of starting there as an intern, as an associate politics editor, um, and really came on to help with the 2012 election coverage. So, and then you know since then I've had you know several different roles at the site. Yeah. So the, I guess my point is that now that you're in a, a bit of a, a management and a leadership role, you got to kind of turn away from the, the hard investigative reporting. It's not quite the, uh, it's not maybe as riveting in, anymore, is it? <laughs> now that you're kind no, of a, a management not, job. Yeah, certainly not to other people. I find it very riveting, but you know, I like journalism and I like what I'm doing now. But uh, you know, it. a lot of times people will ask me like, what am I reporting on right now. And I'm like, well, not much <laughs> because yeah, yeah. it's just not part of my job anymore. And that can be kind of disappointing, I think. So, so Paige, you grew up uh, just outside of Charleston. We were talking before the podcast got started, just outside of Charleston, and then spent some time, you went to WVU, and then spent some time in DC. Then now you're back in the Mountain State running basically your job, I guess, fully remote from West Virginia doing this work for the Huffington Post. What brought you back to West Virginia? And how's that like, was that, a, was that ever a goal to like, get out and then maybe come back in West Virginia? So many of us kind of had that feeling of like, wanting to try something new. Was that kind of you as you left college? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I could say it was a goal to get out. Uh, truly, when I went to D.C., I drove there thinking I was going to be there for a, a summer for an internship. And then I actually had been accepted to graduate school at American University for a one-year program. So gotcha. I thought that by the summer of 2012, I would be back in West Virginia, you know, trying to find work here. Um, and it just, you know, obviously things changed there. Um, and I stayed for eight years. So it wasn't really like I was trying to get out of West Virginia or anything like that. Um, I just had a really great opportunity that I seized upon and, and it worked out into, you know, many years of being there. Uh, so then when we came back, um, my husband actually got a job here. He was in law school in DC and he finished up his degree and then got a, a job opportunity here. And that's a big reason why we came back, but it was obviously a perk you know, to be closer to our families. And, you know, we still have a lot of friends that live in West Virginia. So there were lots of reasons why we felt like it was a big move at the time. Fun fact, Sylvia Burwell, the head of uh, American University is a proud West Virginian. We've had yes. her on the podcast before. She's from Hinton, right, CJ? Is it Hinton? Yeah, Hinton. Oh yeah, Summers County, West Virginia. Do you, yeah. do you know Sylvia? Do you know President Burwell? 
I don't, uh, no, I don't know her, but I'm very proud to see her in a position like yeah, that, yeah. you know, yeah, and I really actually cool. did end up going to American University. I didn't go when I thought I was going to, but I ended up okay. doing a weekend program later on and getting my master's degree. So like, I do have ties to American and happy to see her in that role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's a rock star. She's, yeah. I mean, she's been in the white house I mean, she's been all over yeah. the Gates yeah. foundation, I believe as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah. She's yeah. Now, when you when you were in D.C., I mean, how much of like when people you say you're from West Virginia and maybe even within the world of like news and reporting when stories come out of West Virginia, did you find yourself defending it? Was it always a like some people always like I, I I'll get like triggered when someone says something and be like, you know, like defend the state like uh, no one can make fun of West Virginia, but West Virginians. But with your experience, like in journalism, would people were there ever like snarky remarks with regards to West Virginia or how did you like when you were navigating your career coming up? How was that like? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, I do sort of feel like the default position of West Virginians is to be defensive of sure. West Virginia, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I don't really, uh, I, I think I'm, you know, right there with everybody in that. Um, you know, oh, so sorry, my alarm went off. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, there were even like basic things like, you know, people making fun of my accent when I started and, you know, you kind of have to grapple with oh, that yeah. a little bit. Um, and then much larger things, obviously, I think when you look at, I was a, still a politics editor in 2016, and there was such a commentary about Trump country and, mm -hmm. and, you know, voters in states like West Virginia at that time. So I think that, you know, from the little things like the accent to the big things, like making sweeping generalizations about the region, you're always kind of on defense there. And, um, so yeah, I, you know, luckily I work with a wonderful group of people. So the people I was immediately surrounded by think mm -hmm. that West Virginia is a wonderful place and understand that there's like nuance, you know, that needs to be recognized when you talk about the people here and all of that. But, uh, as a larger conversation, like on Twitter or like in media circles, uh, you do tend to be on defense most of the time. Yeah. So take us into like some of the the inside of working for HuffPost. I mean, that is a, a major news gathering organization and you have a very prominent position within that company and you, you live in Charleston, West Virginia. So, you know, it, maybe even tell us like, what, what is it like working for a company like HuffPost where pretty much if you, you those are those are kind of buzzwords in itself. If, if you say HuffPost, everybody knows what you're talking about. It's funny you say that because I don't think, I don't agree because normally when I tell okay. someone where I work, I'm like poised to like explain to them, you know, I work at HuffPost, it's an online news website, like you might have seen us on Facebook or, or something. Um, and it's really a split, you know, sometimes people immediately are like, oh yeah, I've heard of it. And then sometimes you really have to explain what it is. So yeah. it's, it's nice to hear you say that it's a, it's a recognizable name. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, I love working there. It's a really collaborative environment. I love that we have a great mix of like deep investigative reporting, but also like really fun stuff that, you know, people just want to read about because it's yeah. fun and, and, you know, brings joy. Um, and as far as working there, you know, I, when I moved to West Virginia, it was a big deal. Like, please let me work remotely. You know, I had to write a memo and convince several layers of people that working remote wow. was okay. And then, you know, like eight months later, everyone's working remotely. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pandemic. Uh, so that just, um, you know, it was, it's kind of funny to think back on that now. But a lot of the people I work with have always been in a different location for me. You know, I worked in D.C. for eight years, but I worked daily with people who were in New York, California, you know, even overseas. Um, so it's really not that weird to do my job from West Virginia. Um, you know, we coordinate a lot online. We have a lot of, you know, Zoom or Google Hangout type calls. Right. 
um, lots of emails and chats. Um, and I've kind of always been used to working with people who aren't in the same place as me. So um, it's been pretty easy to do my job from here. And um, I like it too, because you get so many perspectives when you work with people who are based all over. You know, we have a reporter based in Sydney and an editor in London and I have a few people in California who I work with. And um, it's just nice to get their different perspectives on like what we should be writing about. And even when we're, even when there's like a big topic in the news, like it's so interesting to hear everybody's thoughts on it and, and what their community thinks of it, you know, the people around them. Obviously being from West Virginia, I feel like the people who live around me have different thoughts than the people who live around, you know, one of my colleagues in San Francisco. So sure. it's yeah. interesting to compare. Maybe you can even get into that a little bit more because I, I think that's part of the news process that people don't always understand the, the determining what's important, what's newsworthy and what's not. Like you said, you've got editors and, and you know, journalists all across the, the world kind of writing for HuffPost. How do you guys kind of determine what is important and when does the story from middle of nowhere, West Virginia actually make headline news compared to breaking news that may be happening, happening in, in Sydney or, or London or such? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And I will say that, you know, if we could cover every single thing, we would. But with limited manpower, you know what I mean, and limited resources, you do kind of have to pick and choose what topics you write about uh, or do videos on or cover mm-hmm. in any way. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, a lot of times it's like, what do we think people need to know? That's like our first question. Uh, you know, right now there's uh, a lot of very important legislation moving through Congress. So we think people need to know that because it's going to affect their day-to-day lives. So we're doing a lot of reporting on that. And then of course, like another example would be if there's like a natural disaster, you know, a hurricane rolls through that affects, you know, lots of people, potentially millions of people, depending on the severity of a storm like that. So, you know, we might shift our focus there if we think that, you know, it's a safety issue and people need to know about the storm and what they need to do. Um, You know, and then we also know what our readers just sort of like to read about and want to keep up with. And, you know, we try to think about that, too. But it's really there's no, you know, it's not really black and white how we choose what we cover. There are a lot of factors involved you know, who we have on it on a given day, you know, what we think people need to know, what we think people want to know, yep. um, you know, sort of stories we think that are important to highlight, you know, so there's a lot of different things that we consider there. What's up, guys? Cooper here. I wanted to bring you an important message that this podcast is sponsored by Raise Rub. Raise Rub is a delicious West Virginia original recipe seasoning that you can put on beef, chicken, wild game, casseroles, stews, you name it. I've done it. It's delicious. You can find it at raiserub.com. You can also jump on Amazon, search Raise Rub. It'll be right there. It's on our website. It's on our social media. Delicious stuff. Brody, the owner, is a rock star entrepreneur, really cares about community people in West Virginia, and this stuff is legit. So we highly encourage you to give it a try at your next cookout or just at night at home making dinner for yourself. So Raise Rub, raiserub.com. Grab yourself a bottle. I want to ask you something, Paige, your opinion for someone like this in your position um, of how much media has changed. Asking a, asking a journalist their opinion is a very touchy <laughs> subject, Cooper. Hold on now. <laughs> well, there, <laughs> no, go ahead. Free, I'm sorry. I was just trying to derail range. the conversation here. Yeah. This is free range that I met in your media. Um, well, because like, you know, look, CJ, maybe you could pick up on his pointed media question. CJ is a local journalist, works for WCHS. He's a news reporter. Um, I am not, right? I'm a financial advisor. So we built Mountaineer Media 
we came together in a lot of ways it worked because we were different we had different views of media i view my relationship with like communications media is really through social media like content was doing it for my financial advisory practice then understanding like social media and podcasting and that sort of thing but so that's where we're coming from. But the larger perspective, I think that is just like a real microcosm of what's playing out all across America in the last 10 years is that people, we have news everywhere. Everybody can be a technically can be a journalist. If you can pull out your iPhone and record something or tweet something, it can be viewed as information. Um, how much has that changed? Like how much has that just like completely flipped like what you all do if at all over the last 10 years trying to quote unquote compete with just entertainment and social media versus is like news stories and then how do you like develop like you said you'd like to roll out like products like how do you I guess not justify but like if something is newsworthy and then someone clicks on the article but then it's like behind a paywall then it's like well damn like I want to read that piece but now I got to pay $3.99 to you know subscribe to it and there's hundreds of little things that we can subscribe to it just seems like it's so fragmented now it's hard I guess a lot of the times to find something in clarify is this an opinion is this news is this like a paid subscription is this entertainment that sort of thing so i know that was like a massive question but like how much has that like <laughs> impacted you all over the last like decade i would say yeah that is a big question <laughs> um and yeah. if i had the interest to that i would yeah, not yeah. be like a millionaire yeah. right now <laughs> right. you know i think that a lot of people are trying to figure out how to like monetize news and also do news in a really like efficient way given right. you know social media and all of the various ways that people can take in information these days. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that HuffPost doesn't have a paywall. So if anyone's mm -hmm. listening to this and you want to read some news, you can do it for free at HuffPost. So that's really nice. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't claim to have the answers to like paywall or subscriptions or, or things like that. Right. You know, uh, I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out how to monetize news in a way that, you know, lets people like me still make a living, um, you know, and for doesn't sure. really burden people who, you know, want to get their news, you know, in a quick way. Um, even I get really frustrated about paywalls sometimes, so I totally get that. Um, to your point about how do you, uh, you know, how do you compete with like entertainment and stuff? I'll, you know, I don't think that's really as much the issue. Like entertainment can be news, you know what I mean? Like even things right. that spring up from like TikTok now become these like big news stories and are relevant to people and, and worth talking about. I think the the challenge is sort of battling misinformation or disinformation on the internet. Um, you know, and it's funny you asked about the last 10 years, because that's about as long as I've been, you know, right. working at HuffPost and so much has changed about how we covered the news in the last 10 years. And it's funny that I remember being in journalism school and like learning about Twitter and like, how do you live tweet something? And now it's like everyone can do right. that, um, you know, not just on Twitter either. And so uh, I think a lot of what we do is really just try to figure out you know, what the, what truth is. I mean, when we're doing stories, whether it's about entertainment, if it's like, you know, something that happened at an award show, or if it's about, you know, like a mass shooting, you know, we want to make sure we're getting out factual information in an efficient way that people can understand um, and not adding to that confusion. So, um, you know, we just try to, we have lots of checks in place when we do any kind of story. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's super hard news or something a little bit more, um, you know, like lighthearted, uh, we have lots of checks in place to make sure that the information we're putting out there is truthful and um, and useful to people. So right. uh, I'm not sure if that totally answers your question. No, it's tough, uh, but it's one thing we definitely consider. No, I mean it's tough. I mean, and like you know, even just 
even more recently, the elephant in the room is when we have a President Trump was like labeling press like enemy. It's like, okay, well, now that added a whole new, I mean, maybe that's always been an undertone of some people or some groups to, you know, journalism that you don't like about yourself to call it, you know, dismiss it. But no one at that type of scale from a president's office was dismissing journalism as much as Trump did. I mean, that's just a fact on either side of the aisle. We could see that. I just think that severely impacted the media because then it became like, then to me, it's also, it's just difficult to to separate like opinions versus like news, like like an objective news article. And then anything that you don't like, you could just say, oh, that's not, you know, that's not, that's not real. That story's made up and it might be an opinion. So it's, I don't know, it's just an immensely, I think, complex world that ultimately I think it's generally good for people because the more access to information, I think the better generally, like the more we can hear stories from people that we otherwise would not have even heard from and that get like just kind of labeled over by a bigger organization. Maybe I think that's a good thing that people can, we have so much access to all this, but then it makes it just extremely hard to like filter through everything and, you know, make up your mind about something. Yeah. And I'll say that Absolutely. During the Trump years, the skepticism around journalism generally increased like tenfold. You know, when you have the most powerful person in America saying, you know, you shouldn't believe anything that you read, yeah. uh, it certainly made our job a lot harder uh, and made things a little right. more difficult for us. And one thing I always just encourage people to do, you know, I do have people occasionally ask me, like, where can I go to just get straightforward news? And and the thing is, is it is hard to find you know, that these days news that doesn't have some kind of opinion or, um, you know, doesn't like if you turn on Fox News, like obviously they're going to have a slant. Same thing with MSNBC. They're going to have a slant. But I just encourage people to take in as much news as they can and, and really fact check. I mean, unfortunately, the onus is sort of on you these days to figure out if what you're reading, you know, stacks up. Um, and when I say fact check, I, I don't you know, I think a lot of people confuse that with sort of like are both sides of the story being told here. And, you know, there are a lot of stories where I don't think there are both sides. Like when you're talking about climate change, you have scientists who are saying like climate change is happening, here are the facts. And then what is the other side of that? It's people saying, no, the, you're not, your facts aren't right. It was like what you just said. It's right. so easy yeah. to say, you know, I don't like this. So I don't think it's true. I would just ask people to, you know, be a little more level-headed and, and when they read their news and, and really think, you know, in, rooted in, in facts, like what are the facts of the story here and and what is real and truthful and what is backed by science and evidence, you know, and, uh, you know, everything from, I say science, but, you know, even things like and, anecdotally, like, you know, when you look at what a bill is going to do for, for you and your community, like really read the bill, like really read, mm -hmm. you know, do some research on it. And it's unfortunate that it is that way. You know, you want to be able to just click a new story and walk away and feel like you know everything right. but i think that that's not necessarily how things work these days yeah yeah and and it does feel like that we're in this time where it is almost sensory overload and i i can't speak for what it was like 30 years ago or 40 years ago but you know it does feel like so many news outlets are just taking different angles on so many things now it's like abc is it has this big climate change uh, piece that they're doing. I mean, they're visiting the continents, traveling the world and showing different parts of, of where how climate change is impacting certain parts of the world. But then it's like, like you said, there's so much going on Capitol Hill as well. So it does feel like, okay, what what's important? What where should my attention be? And I don't know, it, it almost does get confusing to a point where you're not sure, not even just what's truthful, but what what's actually important and what's yeah. not important. Well, and one thing that 
really drives me bonkers is when someone's like, why isn't the media covering this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. About exactly. anything. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, often I'm like, well, did you Google it? Because someone out there is probably covering it. But again, like there is manpower. Like there's only so many people who work at any given news organization. There's only so much writing you can do in a day. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's so much out there worth covering and talking about and lots of stories that go untold. But I think that you know, I don't want to speak for every journalist, but I think a lot of us are working really hard to make sure, you know, we're hitting the big points and giving people the news they need to know. And, um, you know, and I, I know that some people think that we could be doing better for sure. I think we there's always room to improve, but I always hate when someone says, you know, why isn't anyone covering this? Because it's like, well, someone probably is. It's just probably not showing up in your Facebook feed, you know, yeah, like you right. might have to go yeah, search right. for it a little bit. Yeah, that's funny you say that. Um, CJ is probably laughing because we just had like someone. I'm not gonna like mention their name, but like there's there's a, a strike right now at like the Cabell is the Cabell Huntington Hospital, um, yeah. and there's a strike right now. We haven't we we come on here. We tell we interview people. We have you know guests on. We try to tell stories. We do have like about twelve to thirteen bloggers that write for our website. Um, we have not covered that for a few reasons. One, I don't know enough about it. Two, I haven't found like a direct source from someone that could like speak on it. So I don't want to just put out an opinion piece that I have like nothing. I don't know anything about it. And a lot of people were, some people, not a lot of people were messaging us saying like, we're not covering it, that sort of thing. I think your point's right is that there's, at the end of the day, there's only so much that like manpower that you can dedicate to stories and that sort of thing. Um, And also I don't feel like necessarily that that's our or the lane of like an opinion piece to co- I would rather get that information from something that's like an objective true journalist evaluating the situation rather than just having people I think just kind of like pile on to a situation and share their top line view on something and it might be extremely nuanced and I have no idea about it and then if I share that that's going to influence other people's thinking so I just I don't know I think people that question of when it is frustrating when people like reach out to you and say why aren't you covering this why aren't you covering that um, I, you know, I think the only answer is like, Hey, look, we're doing our best to try to cover the stories that, you know, we feel important. And then with our world, it's usually within the realm of West Virginia. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is there. Just a little bit of, I guess, frustration just, with just laugh at our TikToks and move along, <laughs> move along with your day, please. That's, that's kind of where we're going with that. So. Well, I will say that I respect that you like, I think one thing I learned really early in my career was to recognize when I don't know about something and, you know, I'm not fit to be the one explaining, you know, a certain healthcare bill to, you know, our readers or whatever, like you, like I said, especially as an editor, one of my goals is to make sure we're giving the best information to our audience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think early on, I really humbled myself and thought, okay, if I need to ask a question about X, Y, or Z topic, like I'm going to go ask someone who knows about it, you know, I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm an a know-it-all here. Um, and it can be intimidating when there, you know, people are asking you questions about a certain topic and you don't feel fully equipped to, to do that. And a lot of that's a confidence issue. You know, I don't always feel confident talking about certain subjects and the the thing to do there is to go to people on the ground, people who know experts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and, you know, put all of that together for a story. And, and sometimes you don't have the time for that, or you don't have the resources for it. And, but I think that, you know, it, it's good to recognize when, you know, you probably shouldn't be the one explaining a topic because I certainly don't know right. everything about everything, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. It, let's, let's kind of go back to HuffPost and kind of uh, talk a little bit more about that. Where, 
have you seen some of the largest changes in your tenure with HuffPost? And now, you know, pre-podcast, you said that you were trying to hire some people. Is it difficult to, to find the people, to find people nowadays, maybe more so than it was before? Or, you know, how, how have you seen the changes within Huffington Post, HuffPost now? That's a, that's a big question. Yeah. I mean, I think just, you know, obviously the topics we're covering changes, you know, this, what is news now was not news 10 years ago. You know what I mean? It, yeah. So that kind of stuff changes. And then, you know, we're talking about getting on TikTok more and you know what I mean? Like what can, yeah. how can we change the way we use Facebook and Twitter? How can we be less reliant on Facebook? You know, they, they change things so much and um, we want to make sure we're like keeping up with what they're doing and other social media sites where people read their news. Um, and, you know, we've, changed with the industry you know how even just like the way our website looks you know what mm -hmm. I mean like I, I don't know that your average reader would probably even recognize this or think about it but we try to make sure we look really modern and everything is working properly like there's lots of resources for people like if they're reading a story and they want to go find out more information we want to be able to lead them there you know and yep. our videos are easy to watch and um you know, interesting and, you know, I won't break your computer or whatever, you know what I yeah. mean? So, so there's lots of stuff like that. And as far as hiring people, you know, there are so many talented people out there and in a way it's kind of nice now uh, after the pandemic, like a lot more places are open to remote work. And so, you know, we I've, I've been hiring for several jobs at HuffPost now, and I'm talking to people from all over the world, which is just that in itself is really incredible. I love to meet new people and, you know, to be able to have interviews with people who live thousands of miles away is, is really wonderful. And um, I think it's just opened up opportunities for people that maybe not wouldn't have had those opportunities before. And so, um, so I think that's definitely a good thing. I think that's a tremendous opportunity for West Virginia because of reasons that you probably, you know, are enjoying now is that you get to work for a major company, right? You get to climb a, you know, a good ladder at a good company, you get, you get a um, reputable career you don't have to sacrifice that and you can still live in West Virginia because of this remote nature. Like, I think that's, that should be in West Virginia's favor is that, Hey, if you want quality life, if you want to live in small towns and go kayaking and mountain biking, you can do that. And you could still be, you know, work at Google or work at a major company or whatever you want to do. You can still pull that off um, and live in West Virginia. So, and the States definitely, I mean, we're trying to capitalize on that with the program with the send West Virginia um, and even just in general upgrading, hopefully our technology to facilitate, um, you know, facilitate those remote workers. But I don't see a state that's like better positioned to say, Hey, come enjoy a quality of life, you know, low property taxes, you know, abundant land, but then also, you know, work remote if you want to. Um, so hopefully that could be the next like five or six years, in my opinion, for West Virginia's future is maybe the most critical uh, phase of like a transition into like our economy, if you will. Yeah, totally. And, you know, like you were talking about quality of life and like mountain biking and stuff like that. My husband and I often just like joke about how we live in the perfect weather location. Like we get all mm -hmm. four seasons. Like we don't have to worry too much about like major things like hurricanes and tornadoes and all of that. So it's just funny that like, it's really nice to live in a place like that. And, you know, you were, what you were saying really applies to like jobs generally. Like I would love to see more people working out of West Virginia, you know, even if this isn't where their company's based, right. but especially for a journalist, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier, I think that my perspective on how people read the news and how people uh, perceive the news and public figures and things that are happening really evolved when I moved back here, because I mean, I'm, I'm from West Virginia, but 
you know, you hear day to day, like what people are thinking about X, Y, and Z topic and, you know, what questions people have about things that are happening right now. And that I think has really helped helped me a lot in my job to know, like, what do people want to know outside of, you know, that bubble of DC or like those, you know, the big cities, mm-hmm. you know, the perspectives of people are just different. And so I think it, if anything else, like it's made me stronger as a journalist, just knowing what people want to know. And mm-hmm. I would think that would translate to other jobs as well. DC is definitely, I lived in DC for three years and it's like, I, I always describe it as like a snow globe where it's like everything, nothing really exists beyond the invisible like beltway border. And it, because there's so much going on, you can almost, you forget that there is stuff outside of like the beltway because there always is, there's events to go to, there's parties, there's bars. There's, I mean, it's a great, it's a great diverse area. It's a great city, but it's kind of like all consuming that when you're in there, you definitely, I could see where you just almost like kind of lose touch a little bit of what's going on in different pockets of the world so living in there then coming back out of there definitely is an advantage to kind of like understand like the current like pulse of the country if you will yeah and and I also think too that when you live in DC like people are so connected especially to what's happening in politics obviously because a lot of people who live in DC you know work in politics in some way Um, and I think that people there you know maybe put weight into some things that you know, people outside the Beltway not aren't necessarily following as closely um, mm-hmm. because you're kind of in that really intense world of like, you know, you're surrounded by what's happening. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that even just kind of coming out of D.C. back to West Virginia and realizing like, OK, not everybody's following what's happening with the Build Back Better bill. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. It's uh, it, it was it was a nice um, like awakening, you know, to re- to remind myself that like there are people who are sort of you know, taking in this news in varying degrees. And it's important to think about the people who know all about it. And then the people who just like, don't know that much and could use like a primer on what's happening. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, it feels like West Virginia has been getting a lot of national attention. I don't necessarily can't speak on HuffPost's side of that, how often West Virginia gets reported on, but between having a very uh, outgoing governor uh, being a very conservative state that was very pro-Trump and got a lot of attention when he was in office. And now Joe Manchin uh, clearly, uh, you know, ruffling some feathers in, in D.C. Uh, West Virginia seems to be on a little bit of a spotlight. Have you noticed that from your perspective, too? And, and how does that kind of get talked about at the national level? Yeah, totally. I actually just went to D.C. a few weeks ago and every single person I encountered asked me about Joe Manchin. And I was just like, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, and I certainly don't think to be a translator for Hammer or any other West Virginia. I don't think anybody wants to at this time. Yeah, Yeah, I feel for his communication staff. Um, No, I think that, yeah, uh, there is quite a bit of West Virginia in the national news these days. And you know, both good and bad. And mm-hmm. like I said, you know, earlier, I think one thing that I always, even when I lived in DC, and especially now, I just encourage any national journalists who are doing reporting on us for whatever reason, whether it's mansion or our vaccine program, or, you know, anything justice is doing or, or whatever, uh, you know, there is so much nuance here. I just encourage journalists to not paint with a broad brush there, because, you know, we, we did go overwhelmingly for Trump, you know, in the election, but there are a lot of people on the ground here who, you know, uh, don't always agree with, you know, things that he has been pushing, you know, as president and even after. And so 
uh, I think that a lot of people can forget that nuance. You know, I think things like hillbilly algae didn't help, you know, like kind of really made it seem like everyone in this region is just one way. And, um, you know, I, I just, I think that West Virginia is such a state with so many varying opinions and thoughts and, and there is, you know, there are so many people here who are just like, not hard to the right or hard to the left like they you know might be on one or two issues but then there's a lot of places where they there is a lot of common ground in the middle and so Mm -hmm. um i just hope that people remember that sort of nuance when they talk about us all right let's be real finding a new job is really really hard i mean you can use search engines for hours on hours and you usually end up right where you started still looking for a job So hey, why not simplify the process and let the team over at Mountaineer Employment Solutions do the heavy lifting for you? And there's a good chance you'll start making money and putting that in your pocket, doing something you actually want to do. So what do you need to do? Well, first head over to beamountaineer.com and check out what they've got going on in your neck of the woods because they've got job openings all over the state of West Virginia. But hey, maybe you like talking in person about what you want to do. Well, they've got two offices, one in South Charleston and the other in Morgantown. So if you just want to talk to someone and kind of give them your thoughts on what you're good at, what you're skilled at, where your interests are, walk in and Bill Carter's team will make sure to help you out. So here it is again, Mountaineer Employment Solutions, West Virginia's premier talent acquisition and staffing leader, a proud partner of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. I, I think we fall victim to the, I mean, you familiar with like the Florida man, like theory, mm-hmm. it's always just like Florida man does something crazy. And I think it's just because it, I think it's just, you see those stories because it's so, it's just like, you can just say Florida man and then fill in the blank. You say something absolutely crazy, like wrestling alligator on I-95 and everyone's like, oh, well, wow, that's crazy. What the hell's going on there? I think what's, I think that happens to West Virginia, like the story of like, something related to like drugs or you know obesity or something like that comes up and then from a national perspective it's so easy to just like throw in a west virginia punchline that like you said when you come down here and your boots on the ground there's a, a lot more nuance there's a lot more different opinions and groups and diversity and that sort of thing but from high above it's just so easy to like rip off a quick story or headline like that that just prepackages the west virginia experience and a lot of the times it's unfairly um, which is even more important for, I guess, local voices and local storytelling uh, to defend our state, which is kind of part of the reason why we founded this podcast to try to fill some of that void. Um, but to me, again, that's just like a function of the world that we live in with social media. It's just, um, you know, it's whatever kind of can get eyeballs on it, unfortunately. And sometimes it's not good for the state. And then if West Virginians constantly see those headlines, we start internalizing that in a way. And then we feel like, you know, it almost just, self-actualization almost um so I, it's just it's a it's a bad cycle but i i always like press against it say hey well come and visit west virginia come experience these things come talk to these people because i think your opinion generally uh w- would be different yeah for sure i mean it's really lazy like from a journalistic standpoint uh when people do make those generalizations i mean what they're doing is is just capitalizing on stereotypes um right. which are like many 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 years you know in the making and I don't know if your listeners are familiar with a term called parachute journalism, but that's like one of the things that drives me the most crazy is when, you know, a national outlet will send a reporter here to just like drop into one town for like a day or two and then leave and like write a story that 
apparently is, you know, an encapsulation of what a whole region thinks, you know, and right. there was an example of this a few years ago, uh, where it was so clear that a reporter had left DC and like, we're, we're on the interstate, like driving through Morgantown and Fairmont and like literally just got off the interstate and went to like the first place off the interstate and then got back on. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't think that's any way to sort of report on a region. And luckily, West Virginia is wonderful that we have so many talented journalists here. I'm definitely not. I mean, I'm not talking about myself here. I'm talking about like lots of journalists who are reporting on West Virginia like mm -hmm. um, Mountain State Spotlight has been really wonderful. Um, the people at the Gazette Mail are are wonderful. Um, you know, a lot of the local stations and lo local PBS and um, things like that, West Virginia Public Broadcasting, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so what I try to do too is like someone who is more focused on national news. And I know I have a lot of people who follow me for national news is when there is like a really solid uh, local story. I try to like push it out on mm -hmm. Twitter and Facebook, mm -hmm. like let people know that this is what you should be reading. These are the people who live this every day, who live here and know the environment and know the place and know the people. And um, those are the ones you should be listening to. So I feel really lucky that we live in a place with so many talented uh, reporters and editors. So that's great. I love anybody that has like a national platform, kind of like yourself, you know, on Twitter, 15,000 followers, people are following you for HuffPost, but then you always get those like, hey, this is some West Virginia news on your timeline. Have a great day. You know, and you, oh, try totally. and you slide it I, in there. I, yeah, I don't know how much of a platform I really have, but like, you know, over the years at HuffPost, I do have a lot of people who have followed me for, for news. And so uh, they must be a little confused when I'm like tweeting about baby, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah. know, whatever else is happening here. But um, I tweeted recently about there was like a sign at a local like Piggly Wiggly where they like changed their sign to oh, like, yeah. encourage the road to be fixed yep. or whatever. Oh, they yeah. ever and, fix the road. And I, like, oh, yeah. I was like, this is awesome. And it's like, do people, you know, elsewhere care about the Piggly Wiggly in Austin? Maybe <laughs> not, but, you know, whatever. That's funny. Um, you know, what I mean, we've been here for forty minutes. We appreciate your your time on a on a first thing Monday morning. Um, let's let's get your opinion on what I mean. West Virginia University. You went to WVU. What was um, when you left there? Was it was it immediately moved to DC? Like, what was your time like at WVU? Do you feel like you came into it knowing you wanted to do journalism? Um, yeah, I did. Um, I, I graduated high school wanting to be a journalist. My, my plan B was to be a doctor, which is hilarious because I like faint at the sight of blood. So I don't know what I thought I was doing there, but, um, you know, you hear so much about how journalism is a rocky career and that's absolutely true. I mean, even in the time I've been at HuffPost, we've had layoffs, like I've seen people, you know, bounce from one job to the other, you know, there's a lot of instability in this career, but, um, you know, I felt really passionate that I wanted to do it. And um, I, my first semester at WVU, I took like a journalism 101 or whatever, where you mm -hmm. kind of learned about it. And I was like, yeah, I love this. And so mm -hmm. um, I took any internship I could in college. I have, I worked at WSAZ as an intern. Um, I worked like PR internships, which is sort of like journalism adjacent, but not really related to what I'm doing now. Um, you know, wrote for, it was the Daily Mail at the time before they merged. So I was an intern reporter for the Daily Mail. Um, I just did anything I could to like get some experience and, and WB really helped with that. I mean, uh, you know, they hooked me up with certain internships and gave me a mentor who eventually helped me get my job at HuffPost. And, um, you know, I thought it was a good experience. And then, yeah, like literally I graduated, uh, moved out of my townhouse that I was like living with, with some other people, 
you know, put all my stuff in my parents' garage because I was like, I'll be back in a year to get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, however many years later, it's still some of it's still <laughs> in their garage, unfortunately. But um, yeah, and I just like got in my car and went to DC. And um, I was lucky enough, my dad has a cousin that lives in that area. So like I was lucky enough to stay with family. I know not everybody has that opportunity, but I got to live um rent-free, relatively rent-free for the first few months I was out there. And then there was another WV graduate who needed a roommate. So, you know, I moved to Maryland and was commuting every day. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was nice to be able to do that. But yeah, it was, I, like I said, I didn't think I was going to stay there for very yeah. long. And, and that's, what, that's what happens in DC. I think people say that, well, it's, it's very transient. People usually spend three to four years, um, mm-hmm. but there are a ton of mountaineers. There's a ton of West Virginians in the DC area. I, when I was there, I joined the alumni group and it was a robust group of mountaineers. Um, where was your, in, uh, it's Saturday, it's a crisp Saturday fall morning. Where were you tailgating at when you were in Morgantown? Are you blue lot, law school Hill? Oh, my family used to have a tailgate in the green lot, which is sort of like over near the PRT station there by the hospital. Um, but, uh, yeah, if I was with friends, you know, bounce around the blue lot's really fun, (laughs) but I could never get a spot there. It's very hard to get there. Um, you know, and then when I first graduated, I had a lot of um, friends who lived at Chateau, like, you know, right there oh, yeah. uh, next yeah. to the stadium. So kind of with yeah. their apartments and stuff. But unfortunately, it's been a couple of years since I've been to a game. And, you know, I would hope to get back soon and, and really do it up. But uh, yeah, right now I'm tailgating from my couch. So yeah, <laughs> the, you got to be ready for the people. I try to describe the blue lot to people and it's just it's tough. I mean, you got to be you got you to be on your game, ready to ready to party. It's a great time, but uh, it's definitely intense. <laughs> Also ready to kind of socialize because I always feel like you walk into the blue light and you end up seeing, you know, oh, yeah, that's one of the things about West Virginia being kind of a small place. It really yeah. is you go and you, everywhere you go, you kind of see someone, you know, and the blue lot to me is kind of like a big reunion. It's so nice to just walk through and like be hollering at people that you. It you is know. like a West Virginia reunion. Yeah, it literally yeah, is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, good deal. Well, Paige, you're, you're pretty busy, so uh, we'll a pass on not getting back to Morgantown too often. But uh, Paige, thank you for joining us. Best of luck to you. Keep up the great work. You're uh, doing well for uh, Posts and serving West Virginia well as well. So thank you very much for jumping on with us. And there's my cat. Come on, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you guys. Yeah, this podcast is, is great. everybody that's going to do it for this episode of the mountaineer media podcast thank you to Paige lavender for jumping on with us and talking about this day and age of journalism how things have changed so much in her time since working at the huff post so thank you again Paige, for coming on with us today as for everybody else still listening hey don't forget our wvu texas ticket giveaway still going on so jump over to mountaineermedia.org and sign up their first name, last name, email address, and you're entered for a chance to win two tickets. You and a friend will send you to Morgantown to check out WVU's game against the Longhorns of Texas. Okay, everybody, thank you for tuning in. As always, we'll be back again here soon. Peace.